Welcome to Wampa Radio. This is episode number 20, where we put two X's together, kind of like divorce court. I oh would God. like to propose Wait, that this is our critical episode. We have hit the nat 20 episode. We have? Yeah, this is the luckiest one. We're, right. we're rolling critical hits on all of our comments today. All of our takes are just going to be, you know, the luckiest, most wonderful takes ever. Right? Sure. I suppose. You know, the very, you know how they do the dice rolling thing in Baldur's Gate 3? You know, my mm-hmm. very first one in the game, you like look into like a little pool on a table and I critically failed it and I learned nothing. And I'm like, great. My very first roll in this game, natural one. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like life, right? Like you just, you, you give so much of your heart and soul into something and what happens? You come away with absolutely nothing. But you did learn right. something, Doa. You learned yeah. ne- never to trust yourself, never to rely on your own, potential skill set or your own potential greatness because you will fail and if you don't overwatch league so yeah (laughs) (laughs) well you got got that right (laughs) we are a uh star wars card gaming podcast this is wampa radio of course i think we i think we can confidently say that we sort of departed from just being a star wars unlimited podcast it's a heavy heavy dose of it though but i'm just gonna say that wampa radio is all about star wars cards yeah. I mean, we talk about other card games, but, you know, we only really talk about Star Wars Unlimited cards, per se. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the thing is, is like any new Star Wars game that comes up, it's going to be compared to, it's going to be inspired by, it's going to be affected by the other card games with the Star Wars name that came before it. So it's a very, very uh, correct conversation, I think, to have along the way. But as usual, we'll dig into the headline strategies and discussion points that you want to hear about the world of Star Wars card gaming. Mostly swoo other games in there too mostly swoo and you know in the vein of swoo i think that it's important for us to talk about the different phases of how you can play the game obviously fantasy flight has said there was going to be this emphasis on casual play as well as on competitive or organized play and so for this episode we just figured hey if folks are used to casual play and they want to make the jump to competitive play, what does that look like? How do you cross that threshold? How do you gear up for that? And so that's going to be what the core elements of the episode are. However, like always, we have news and reveals and things to cover, as well as our patented, copywritten, it's actually not copywritten, but whatever, <laughs> we can't uh, copyright Wampa that, Cave Pull of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the cave poll of the week. Much debated, often criticized, um, kind of like our careers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but always correct in the end. Sure, yes, right? yeah. uh, exactly. It's entertaining at a minimum. Well, uh, we actually, in our last, uh, our last video, our last podcast, we got a comment that said, I don't know if these tangents are hilarious or super annoying. Either way, great job. And <laughs> I th- why not both? They could definitely be both. If you if you yeah. have ever spent any extended amount of time with Charmer, not Charmer plus family, because at least there, there's a buffer zone. There are like good, wholesome people. If you have mm. spent any extended amount of time with Charmer, that is probably how it goes. I don't know if this is hilarious or super annoying. Either way, great stuff that is my relationship with charmer oh that's good to know yeah that, I would, that I, sums it up pretty well actually 
I would give all of our tangents two thumbs up, which is which is notable because in the Star Wars universe, people are losing limbs all the time. That's hard to do. So two <laughs> thumbs up in this universe means more than in our own world on planet Earth. That's two Skywalkers right there. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> two Skywalkers. Time, yeah. yeah. You want right. to give two two thumbs up? You need two full yeah. Skywalkers to do you need that. Both Anakin and Luke, you know, <laughs> if you catch them at the right moment. <laughs> that's value. That is value right there. Uh, yeah. So it is the Wampa Cave poll of the week that goes up every Sunday at Wampa Radio on Twitter. This week, we're talking about transportation, my friends. Uh, I mm. said, I put it out there. I, I let it in as transportation, which again, obviously, well, there was a little bit of pushback, but I'll let you guess which one it was. Let's talk transportation. What vehicle do you want to see uh, in Star Wars Unlimited? There was the speeder bike. There is the sand crawler, the tauntaun, kind of like a mount, and then the Mandalorian jetpack, which, let's be real, it's transportation, baby. That's what we're talking about here. So, Doa, who did you slide that vote in for? I mean, I don't know. That backpack transports you right to the side of Jabba's sail barge if you're not careful. So I don't, I don't trust <laughs> that one too much. But, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're seeing, like, Sabine and stuff. So you'd imagine that'll be in there somewhere. But... Uh, I went with the sand crawler because there is nothing so full of swag than rolling around in like the most badass mobile home in the Star Wars universe, <laughs> right? It's just like the RV of the future past, right? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but yet technology is so far beyond what we have now. It puts any Winnebago to shame. It's stuffed with all these droid parts. You're never going to have a problem repairing it because you've got tons of parts in there to do it with. You're just hanging out with your fellow Jawas, you know, it's it's great. So Sandcrawler all the way. Like, I've always loved that thing. Soon, as soon as I saw it come over the hill in uh, New Hope, I was like, that is an awesome vehicle. Every time I see it, like, it's incredible. I'm right now, I went on my Mythbusters kick. We're over that now. Now I'm on a Pawn Stars kick, just watching all kinds <laughs> no. of Pawn Star-related videos. <laughs> it's kind of like Pawn Stars. It's like they, sh they roll up with a whole bunch of garbage, and they're trying to, like, sell it to... This dude, he's like, ah, oh, does it speak bocce? It's like, I don't know. I know a guy. Let me get a guy in here. Hold on. He'll he'll tell us if it's authentic or not. And then mm -hmm. the guy comes in, and he's like, hey, this R2 unit has a bad motivator. And it's like, well, best I can do is like 30 bucks. Or, you know, like that's basically what it is. It's just galactic Pawn Stars. Did you know that in the lore box for the Star Wars CCG on uh, R2-D4 or whatever it was? R5-D4, yeah. R5-D4, I couldn't remember exactly, but supposedly the lore goes that that droid knew that R2 and 3PO were about to be separated, and he blew his own motivator so that R2 would be taken instead, made the noble sacrifice. What a droid. He was also Force-attuned. That is canonical. What? That, yes, <laughs> Yes, what? Doa, in the comics, I think you could back me up on this because, uh, uh, Charmer, you know all about this little droid because he's the embodiment of you, a bad motivator, <laughs> right? And uh, ultimately... Oh, ouch. Oh, there's a meme. We created a meme oh. back in our earliest days. I will put it back up on the screen for everybody to enjoy. But uh, in in comics, he was force-attuned. Like he, And he, I think he had a vision or something of if... if R2 was not with 3PO, it would be like disastrous. So So they took that lore text and just like went one step hell farther yeah, with it man. even that. Dude, dude wow. decipher de decipher is the is the basic like the yeah. root of so many canonical things now. They are the authority in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Agree. Wow. 
How about you, Charmer? I love it when I yeah. learn something Be- new. Because somebody wrote something funny back in old Decipher days, <laughs> R5-D4 became Moses seeing the burning bush for, <laughs> for the future. Yeah, basically. Uh, this this one was actually very difficult for me for a number of reasons. Uh, my vote ultimately went to Mandalorian Jetpack, but I would like to say it's not because I felt like it was the best choice. I felt required to choose it because back when Flake and I did our episode where we did some custom card stuff, I included Mandalorian Jetpack. And so I also at the time did that like as an upgrade, though. And I saw one of the comments was that you know, jetpack probably should be an upgrade and I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I still chose it because it was a card that I'd already said I wanted to see. So I would, I felt like I would have been a hypocrite if I was like, Hey, let's make custom cards. This is something I want to see. And then I don't vote for it. The reality is of the actual vehicle choices. I am uh, with Doa on this. The, the sand crawler is iconic. I think Jawas are also very underrated as far as like iconic Star Wars characters in general. Like, yes, they're not at the forefront of anything, but like when you see a Jawa, everybody knows what a Jawa is, right? They are the cooler Ewoks, in my opinion, but I've already given my anti-Ewok stance. Uh, I I love Jawas. I love the Sandcrawler. I easily would have chosen that. Uh, But the third reason that this one was very difficult for me is because when I started thinking about like, you know, hey, if I wasn't going to put Mandalorian Jetpack on as the fourth one, right, if I was filling out this poll, what would my fourth option be? And then I had the vision that Flake, uh, or excuse me, Doe was mentioning about Boba Fett running into the side of the, the sail barge, right? <laughs> and then I, I even responded to the Wampa Cave Pole with the gif of you can see Boba Fett in the background, like haphazardly flying around. Uh, and But then it dawned on me, I was like, Jabba's sail barge. That's the vehicle I want. I want Jabba's sail barge. Oh no, I want that to be a location. That's what I want. I want I, no, I liked your idea of Sarlacc Pit as the location, and then uh, I want Sail okay, Sail Barge okay. to do sure. something cool, like at you know as a result of being <laughs> that being your choice of location. Because yeah. when I think about the ways that the game design space can improve, you know, we've kind of talked about how yeah, there's the plain ones and there's ones with text, but we've also noticed that there are like planetary tags and things like that. Mm-hmm. It would be really cool if we see cards later that say, like, if your base is this, then it gets an extra bonus. So I'd love to see, like, Sail Barge be a vehicle, and then if your base is the Sarlacc pit, it does something else. Like, maybe yeah. you can use its epic action twice or whatever. Who knows? I, I think, love that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we're that far away from... I think that maybe set one is not going to have it. Set two or three is going to, in my opinion, I think is going to have more uh, location uh location related synergy Uh, we haven't seen it yet and i don't think that it's going to be here i think it might be a situation of too much too soon but that's a whole other conversation for anything Mm -hmm. else i selected keep it simple yeah i selected the tauntaun and uh, for that exact reason that i I alluded to right before saying this which is i think that there's going to be a situation where the tauntaun is going to be a creature or a vehicle or something wherein you can like it has an action where it's like you may turn like turn this into an upgrade if you're if you're if one of the two locations are like locations are hoth you can Mm. turn this into an upgrade rather than a creature so like it's a two three but you could also put it on somebody as a two three like to give them the the hide or whatever 
Right. Yeah. Something like defeat this unit to, or to heal a character or something like or that. Or defeat him know? to create a shield if your base is Hoth or something like that. Or yeah. when this oh, is yeah, defeated. Yeah. That's what I was gives... just waiting to say. Yeah. Yeah. Defeated, uh, yeah. When this is defeated, if your base is Hoth, then mm-hmm. it becomes an upgrade or something. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And then you slice it in half and all the like spaghetti nonsense comes out and they <laughs> smell better on the outside than all this yep. other stuff. Either way, there's there's plenty I, of options here. I gotta say, I gotta say though, um, I personally think Mandalorian jetpack are you know should be disqualified, and because it should be an upgrade, not a vehicle. Yes. Because you don't ride inside it or on it; you strap it to you. So I kind of feel like this is more upgrade territory than vehicle territory. But I'm nitpicking now. I'm getting I'm getting technical. Well, but Han Solo strapped a tauntaun to. Luke's frozen carcass. So yeah, but he wasn't. He didn't ride it anywhere. Oh, you don't know that. Oh, he's just sliding down he's the like, mountain. And yeah, he's like, Luke, like... you must go to the Dagobah system. And he's like, now, sure. all right. He turned it into a canoe later. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I I also agree that it's like feels like an upgrade thing, but I I will say there's there's something that was mentally driving me, and I I loved the idea of both Jetpack and Tauntaun being vehicles because mentally I really want to play a uh, hardpoint heavy blaster, like the big cannons that we know is an upgrade for vehicle (laughs) units in the game. And so in my head, I just have this image of like a Tauntaun with giant lasers strapped to the side. It's just there and it's just yeah, like, like dino riders or something. It's like somebody mounting a 50 cal on their camel. Oh my. And it's just like. That's all the Star Wars noises I can make. Listen, your criticism of that is valid. I also got messages. Sorry. I say, had to say it. No, it's fair. It's definitely fair. They're like, well, that should technically be an upgrade. And I said. This is absolutely a full-on scientific poll, and I will learn from my mistakes. <laughs> but here are the results for the cave poll this week. In the lead is the uh, disqualified, apparently, uh, Mandalorian jetpack at 35.4%. The Sandcrawler, the, <laughs> the, the mobile garage sale, is at 27.8%. And I think nice. it kind of sold it on me, too, because this thing could do a whole bunch of cool stuff. It could be, like, something, like, it could hold, it, like, infinite amount of upgrades on it. You could get a whole lot of droids in this thing. Yeah. Slap or I, I want it to be, like, an 05 unit, but you spend an action, and it makes, like, a 1-1 Java. Yeah. Like, it just well, keeps spitting out Jawas until you blow up the Sandcrawler. So, and then we have, uh, like, a Dunes location or some sort of Tatooine location that's lower health, like 25 health or something. But then all of your Jawas get plus one attack. Oh, God. So, you know, yeah, that would be... And so you get a little tax, but you get stronger Jawas. You enable the Jawa tribal deck. Like, that's what I want. I want a lot of crazy, like, tribal options. I want my Ewok deck. I want my Jawa deck. I want to do all that stuff, you know? Dude, I, I want something along do you remember what the jawas like the special part about jawas were from star wars ccg you had to again the perfect flavor for these if you wanted to deploy a jawa it cost you one force from your pile and your opponent's force pile (laughs) you had to like they had to pay you to play their own damn things so it was so it was very fascinating it like Again, you made, they, you made them pay for your units, yeah. which, was, which was pretty funny in <laughs> yeah. the game. Yeah, with Jawas. Yeah. Jawa tribal decks were kind of unreal. Dealing and dealing, yeah. Um, it was I mean, the, the uh, Shipshawana Roadshow, the f- traveling flea market. 
of the Star Wars universe. Best that can do is one Jawa. Best that can do. Um, <laughs> third place was the speeder bike at 21.5%, which would probably have a lot of, could be an upgrade, but it's probably going to be a vehicle, but could oh, be a... got to be a vehicle. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, you see like troopers on them and stuff like And then finally, in last place was my selection, the Tauntaun, because, uh, yeah, I guess. You got to do a Tauntaun. I, I agree with you there. You got to have a Tauntaun vehicle at some point. I think you know, it'd be pretty it's rad. iconic. They're going to, yeah. they are going to have, I'm just going to go out and say it. I don't know for sure, obviously. I don't know if this actually is going to happen or not. But my suspicion is by set three, we're going to have location-specific synergies. And Tauntaun is going to be some sort of Hoth-related coolness. I would hope so. So yeah. thematically, just kind of thinking out loud here, because I was laughing at the idea of putting those giant heavy blasters on a Tauntaun. I suspect that when we do get those, it won't have the vehicle tag. It'll probably mm -hmm. be a creature and say like mount because there are a number of things in the Star Wars universe that are yeah. still like rideable, but aren't Dubax. necessarily vehicles, right? Dubaks, uh, Banthas, Banthas, like there's yeah. there's a bunch of stuff Rancors. I think that is in that category. Yeah, I mean, you, we laugh, but yes, yes, then, yes. I know. Witches of Rathamir were doing it way before Boba Fett did it to destroy the town oh, he said he was protecting. I know. I edited last week's episode. I had a plenty <laughs> of fun finding those videos. Oh man! Uh, so I, I think uh, I think Mount could end up being a descriptor at some point. I think so too. I think yeah, it's something or, along the lines of like the Tauntaun can exist independently with its thing, but if it has the keyword to Mount, you could add it as an upgrade to one thing. And I think that or like you, you could say like mount and you like cannot attach vehicle upgrades to this unit or something. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, you just have something like that. Uh, so there you go. That's the cave poll this week. Uh, every Sunday at Whopper Radio, you guys can go ahead and participate in the cave poll. We appreciate you that you do. All right. Headlines. Not a whole lot this week. Headline related, unless you guys have pulled something out from the weeds. But ultimately, the most important thing is, is I got a message from my LGS. I got a DM saying, hey, we are putting up some pre-orders. And then that was essentially the truth for a lot of other places. Pre-orders for this game have begun. If your LGS does not have it, now's the time to ruffle their feathers and get them going. But from what I've seen locally here again my lgs um is harry tarantula here in toronto their uh their um pre-orders are very msrp friendly this isn't a doesn't seem like there's any kind of lorcana craziness there's no immediate buyout none of that stuff so i think that that bodes well for the gaming community and those who are being like well it's not sold out the game's dying things don't always sell out as a you know as an yeah, indicator. this wasn't like a big widely announced pre-order either so yeah and it's so it's so early on too i think uh there needs to be more hype built around the game as well but yeah i mean come on it's star wars well good game it's gonna be big it, it's also just pre-orders like this isn't where you yeah. know about your allocations or whatever yet anyway like technically all my lorcana pre-orders were approved now ask me how many i got <laughs> oh no you know what I mean? Like yeah, the, yeah. we're just we're at that stage. We're not even to allocation. And I'm not saying that to be doom and gloom and say I think it's going to sell out. That that's not what I'm trying to get at. I'm just saying that I think it is way too early to put any sort of credence behind any of it, right? Just yeah. Find out if your store is planning on carrying it and then go from there. Makes sense. 
There you go. Mm. I mean, that's it for headlines. I anything else? Nothing wrong with that. All I right, mean, well. uh, we know when the game's coming out. There's, uh, I mean, what? There's, what do they have left to do for aspect previews? Have they announced the next one yet? Uh, cunning, one I think, November? is the next one, is it not? I mean, it would have well, to be cunning, wouldn't it? I mean, for I live guess... stream stuff, it's it's got to be cunning. Um, we should yeah. still be in for the trickle out of uh, more aggression previews because they normally do the thing on Twitter where they say like, which one do you want to see first? And everybody picks base, and then we go from there. Yeah. We haven't seen that for aggression <laughs> yet. So I think that's next up before we get the uh, cunning live stream announcement. Beauty. Well, wow. right. and they also might be stretching it out because of holidays coming up, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. I mean, when holidays roll around like that, like week or two week period, I'm, I'm okay with no information because I just want people to enjoy their time off as well. But at the same time, that's when everyone has a free time and wants to digest this kind of stuff. But there it is friends um we do have card spoilers though we can get to some card spoilers which are great i will lead us off with a command card it is a ground unit three cost single aspect command homestead militia it is a three four unit fringe trooper while you control six or more resources this unit gains sentinel it's a common um i think that this is a pretty pretty average card um the stat line for the cost is probably what you get for any type of vanilla but what i'm first pulling out of this uh, also i should mention this is uh, revealed by holocron card hub so thank you very much for that spoiler this again is just another card that leads into ramp you just want to get to six first get as many resources on the board as possible get the benefits of it my initial suspicion based on what i've seen if you want to be ramping up you don't want your three four to become a sentinel you want to put out something fatter something bigger something nastier i don't think that this is going to see play in constructed but i do see this uh having a you know this is like your your pick eight or nine out of a pack i think yeah, I want to I want to steal Charmer's line and say this looks good for limited uh, because you know what, Charmer, you've gotten me thinking more about limited now. Um, and like as I've looked at like card reveals, I'm starting to think about it more. I, like I, I've never really cared about limited in card games before. Like I play it in a fab because I just like playing flesh and blood anytime I can. But I, I always prefer the constructed formats over the limited formats. But this game, because you've been making me think about it every single week, um, <laughs> I am thinking about it now. And uh, and yeah, so I, what do you think? Do you agree this looks like a decent uh, little kind of mid-game chunky unit for Limited? For Limited, it's definitely a quality mid-game chunky unit. But I'm actually, uh, I'm going to buck the trend here, gentlemen. I am going to say oh, no. this is actually a decent card for Constructed as well. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh there are some bonuses here that I think are the kind of things that don't become relevant until you start playing through games. Um, what stands out to me the, the most is one, this is a single aspect card. So it's very splashable into a lot of different deck archetypes. Um, it's a three, four for three, which is good stats. And then it has the potential to get a very quality keyword. In my opinion, I would argue this has the potential to be the second most important keyword after Saboteur. Saboteur does so much, but part of the reason Saboteur does so much is because Sentinel is so strong. 
And while this doesn't have it right away, if you are playing a command deck, you are going into that with the expectation that you are, um, as Flake said, right? You might want to ramp and then you want to play your fatty, but at some point you also still need to stabilize the board. You need to throw stuff in the way. But the other reason that this is, I think, better than it looks is that a lot of times when you play ramp decks or slower decks, you include some early game cards that lose value if you draw them later. Uh, mm -hmm. Ramp cards are a great example. If you're late in the game and you top deck a, a ramp card, it doesn't help you nearly as much as if you drew it in the first couple of turns. This is a card that has value early. If you if you have nothing else to do on three, you can play it. It's still a three, four. You can contest some board space. And if you draw it later, it's even better. And that's that's actually not something that usually happens with these kind of early game cards for, for ramp. So... I think that this has a lot more value than it looks um, because, again, if you're going really late and you get in a situation where you've got, you know, eight or nine resources, being able to play, you know, this and uh, another three drop and then maybe like a two drop or something is going to be really strong uh, if you're trying to fight for control of the board. Playing like this in a five drop could be very relevant. It, it gives you a lot of flexibility and a lot of, uh, in my opinion, like cost to value ratio for a single aspect common. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, it, depending on how you build things, like if you're going blue, uh, blue, green, you could have a six resource turn that was that and then entrenched and resilient on it. And then uh, you suddenly have, uh, what would it be, a 610 with a Sentinel can't attack bases, but that's okay because it's going to chew through your opponent's units, protect you a lot. Um, the three attack, I was going through and looking at the health with the leaders that have been revealed so far, and three attack, like, doesn't quite take off half of the health of the uh, leaders that have been revealed so far. Most of them have seven health. So I would have, when I think about this unit and the later game scenario, I'd like it to at least have the power to take off half of a leader, right? Because it seems like if you do play it later, it's going to be running into those, or that's what's going to be running into it. So I, I in that sense, I feel like it's a little bit less useful than... Uh, you know, another card that, you know, we don't know what it would be, but I would presume there'd be something else I'd rather be playing at that point in the game. But I, I do agree that it can just be like a speed bump to throw out in front of your opponent at a crucial time in the late game too. So. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, that half mark, cause you are right. There was a, uh, something else that I was noticing. You are right. It's not quite half of a leader and there are a number of things with seven health or even six when it is half, it, it still doesn't necessarily feel the greatest. However... Um, playing a lot of flesh and blood has kind of taught me the importance of certain break points, right? Mm, and when yeah. I'm looking at constructed, there's a couple of break points that I've been trying to keep in mind. Uh, one is five or less because of takedown. Now that we know that card is a thing that exists, anytime I can get a high value unit that has more than five health to five or less, that sets up a takedown. Uh, the other one is four or less because of the, you know, the direct damage aggression card, right? So we know that there are these kind of removal thresholds. And so far, the three damage on this gets us below any of the relevant thresholds. Unless we're talking about a card like Vanquish where there's no threshold at all, that's a different story. But for the most part, all of these conditional ones, three damage is enough to kind of get you over the hump to turn those on. So yeah. uh, that's, you know, again, I don't expect the card to be incredible. It is a common for a reason, but I do think that it has 
uh, quite a bit more value than I think it looks on the surface because it's a card that's very cost effective in a single attribute that gets better as the game goes, which is not something that's usually the case for your early game drops. Well, I will say this. I think I think this might look like what we would call like a a first set in a card game constructed card, right? Where it's like maybe in set number one, this will be one of the more higher value cards of this nature. But you'd have to imagine as soon as a couple expansions come out, it's going to get overshadowed by something else, you know, that has similar stat line and just a frankly better ability or slightly better stats or something, right? So, yeah, it might be a set one constructed card. But I don't think it's going to survive much longer after that. But uh, I think it is going to be useful and limited either way. And, you know, I mean, when you're playing a game, it always feels good to play something that has higher stats than what you paid for it, too. So three for a three, four is always going to feel decent to play, I think, in a lot of cases. So it has that. Yeah. It's creep fodder. It, it'll be the first uh, the first casualty of power creep potentially. The best part about this card, frankly, Charmer, is uh, that episode that we did without Doa. We were, we mentioned on that particular episode that it is our mission to prove to you doa that mm-hmm. limited is uh is the s it is absolutely the s and <laughs> I'm, now i'm thinking about it yeah well that's the mission man we got time it doesn't this yeah. doesn't come out until the beginning of march we have like four months to to sort of indoctrinate more than that we got like four what four five months almost to to get you sort of uh geared I'm up like for this strap me down clockwork orange well, style and like uh put it put like draft vods in front of me or something <laughs> we don't know how soon we'll get to be able to do pre-release stuff though either so we need yeah, to get yeah, him true. on board before yeah then. you have to true. because i mean pre-release is going to be limited it's not draft but it's 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 still sealed which is limited all right uh next card who wants to get the next one uh i'll do it i like uh i like aggressive things it's an aggression card it's cantina braggart it costs one it's underworld zero damage three defense raid two so that means it gets plus two while attacking so uh this you know honestly i feel like this almost kind of fills a it's in a similar vein to the card we just looked at where it could be pretty decent and limited it might even sneak its way into some aggressive constructed decks you know early on in the game's life but another card that's probably going to get overshadowed over time it is a common you know obviously so you're not expecting a ton from it um but it is it is interesting. Obviously, the biggest drawback is that you play it and then your opponent just kills it and doesn't take any damage in return because it has, you know, zero uh, attack unless you're the one attacking. So it's got a major drawback. Um, but, you know, there there are there are probably going to be other ways to sort of mess with this. Um, there was... Oh, let's see. Where was it? There was a card I was looking at. And I want to make sure I get it right. It's a, So the Grand Inquisitor Leader... That's what I'm kind of looking at with this, where it's like, maybe if you want to be aggressive, you play this, then you use the Grand Inquisitor's ability to do two damage to it, and then ready it, and then you just get to attack with a 2-1, and it it can function, you know, sort of as like a, you know, a direct damage spell in a way. So, you know, because the Grand Inquisitor's ability doesn't cost anything. So it might be right. useful in, in that situation, but I, I think, like I said, it kind of falls into the category of card that the last one we looked at did. I... Also earmark this for potential future design space. The zero attack is very unique on this so far. So if we ever see mechanics in the future where, you know, maybe aggression allows you to draw extra cards, but you take damage equal to the card's power, right? Like trading Mm. the immediacy of the the draw for damage to yourself because you just want it or whatever, then 
this would be one of those like lower risk cards to include. Uh, I, I don't think this one is as good as the previous card. That being said, I, I have a question for the two of you because I saw this, uh, saw this I, and I was thinking to myself, which of these two characters do you think is the Cantina Braggart? So if you're listening to the audio uh, version of this, the art on this oh. card has two people arm wrestling and it's just Cantina Braggart. It's not braggarts. It's not plural. It's whatever. So, you know, canonically, which of these two is the braggart? I wonder, do you I, think it's the Cyclops or the, the woman? I think it's the one on the right. Frankly, I, I don't think it's a Cyclops. I think that, that she's the one who's the loudmouth here. And he's just the, or like, well, he was just there having a, a pot. I if, think so too. If you guys are fans of, of deep space nine, you all know mourn the, the, the bar fly at uh, quarks bar who has exactly zero lines across like not a seven seasons or however many mm. seasons of DS9, who's right. just there to enjoy his, but he's like everybody, he's like Norm from Cheers, but Star Trek version. I feel like this is the same thing. She comes in every, and she's talking all kinds of crap, right? And then finally somebody says, Morn, just, just put her out of her misery. And then Morn just one time remember from ace ventura when he's trying to figure out who's got the ring with the missing uh the missing pearl on it and then he goes to the biker bar to go find the dude and he just arm wrestles the dude but just throws him across the th that is how i visualize this going down i think when i look at this because it's an abyssin on the left i believe that's technically the the star wars uh species that we're looking at here I know this because I had a Star Wars CCG deck that had 32 of them in it. That's a whole different story. <laughs> uh, and on the right, like I, it's probably a, like a, a some generic, you know, cantina uh, attendee. But uh, it, she kind of looks like Fennec Shan as well. A little bit. Which, which is another bit. card that uh, I would imagine we'll see at some point. But uh, I, that's what I'm kind of wondering too. Maybe she's out there arm wrestling people too. Which Look, like you know, shouldn't I, she be out doing like I contracts, just assassinating it, people? I don't know. Uh, because I I agree with Flake. I think it is the the woman, the character on the right, because to me, mentally, it makes more sense for a smaller person to come in and start bragging and have like the, you know, the the big tough guy. Well, you know, I'll take that bet. Right. Mm. It, it doesn't, in my opinion, have a lot of weight if the, the big grumpy looking Abyssin is the one who's, you know, throwing out all of these challenges and, and whatever. I mean, it very well could be, but it, it just it's funny to me that. There's very clearly two people here, and they, they don't specify which it is. So I, I want to keep an eye out to see if we see these characters represented in future art, and maybe we can piece it together a bit. This dude okay. is built like a weeble, though. Like, if you notice, <laughs> so bottom-heavy. Yeah. Oh, the deep cuts. <laughs> I, I do want to mention, though, about the card itself. I think that, barring any—I want to see what the other one-drops are for, uh, like, single-aspect one-drops are for ag aggression— I can definitely see this being in constructed aggro decks for the sole purpose of it's not going to be easy to kill this in one action. You hmm. play it, you can attack the you could attack face for two, and it might take two early actions to get rid of it, in which case you might be able to swing base twice with it. Um, that's kind of my thought process here with this card is like again you alluded to also doa is until this gets something that's better this might be mm -hmm. the de facto uh purely from the fact that it's it's 
a little stickier to the board because of the three body. But I get what you're saying because well, it doesn't trade back. But the thing about that is that traditionally aggression decks don't want to trade minions. They just want to go face and let your opponent do the work to clear them out anyways. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how this kind of how this kind of operates. Well, I will say this. I uh, I take back my Grand Inquisitor comment earlier, and uh, I will play this card in my limited IG-88 deck because IG-88 is a common leader. Uh, he is also Underworld, and he uh, has the action, uh, just exhaust him, attack with a unit. If you control more units than defending player, the attacker gets plus one for this attack. So you could pay one for Cantina Braggart. Your opponent takes an action. Then you use IG-88, and Cantina Braggart, presuming you have more units out than your opponent, swings in for three. So that's a nice little nice little combo. You don't have to do damage to uh, yourself in that one. So, yeah, that looks like a, I, I would put those two together in limited. If I was playing aggression limited, I'd, I'd take a look at that. And he rides IG-88 like Grogu <laughs> and then just keeps no, saying... See, I made that same mistake. Grogu doesn't ride IG-88. Yeah, it's the same model of droid, oh. but it's, uh, it's IG-11. IG-11. Right? It's IG-11, yeah. yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. They're both, whoever yes. the Braggart is, they're way too big to, uh, you know, be piloting an IG unit around like a mech. All right. Well, Charmer, you get to do, you get to do the next one. <laughs> oh, I'm actually really excited about this card, to be honest. Um, yeah. The next one is a, a main character, one we've actually talked about pretty recently. It is Lando Calrissian, or Calrissian. I've heard it pronounced uh, a lot of different Calrissian ways. Calrissian is how they say it in the movies. Yeah. Uh, well, in movie. Calrissian stands out to me because he's got that riz, as the kids say. That's uh, what they say in the movies. Calrissian. Like here, yeah. we can we can settle this very easily. Who is the main character from Andor? What's his name? Cassian Andor. Yeah, and how, Cassian. And how do you spell Cassian? Yeah, but you don't just because it's spelled the same way doesn't you doesn't mean you pronounce it the same way. Are you new to the right. English language or something? Yeah, uh, you <laughs> would think that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, uh, I, I I only mention it because like I had a friend who was like what Flake is saying right now. He was very adamant that it was Calrissian. It's and not. you're right in the films it's Calrissian. And then yeah. now because of New Age slang, it like fits even further that it's Calrissian because <laughs> he's got that riz. But uh, anyway, Lando is the card. Uh, the subtitle, if you will, is Responsible Businessman, which I just absolutely I don't know, man. I don't know. Look at his face. He's as responsible as any American capitalist. I'll put it that way. <laughs> no, he's got a he's cape. Looking out, he's, he's looking a out for his unit. Uh, he costs six. He is heroism and cunning as... Uh, well, the cunning you would expect. The heroism, you know, you could go either way, obviously, with Lando's history. Uh, the art is interesting. He does have a smucker's grin. Uh, he has a 6-5 for stats. The keywords for this particular version of Lando are fringe and official, and that's it. So, uh, you know, no standard good tags or bad tags, right? There's no rebel here, things like that. It's just fringe official. Now, the game text on this 6-5 for 6 is saboteur, which is pretty strong. And then when played, return up to two friendly resources to their owner's hands. Now, this is very interesting. And I like this card because when I first read it, I was like, okay, well, I didn't read the uh, up to. 
I was like, okay, well, it's a 6-5 for 6 that has Saboteur. That's pretty strong. So, of course, like, they might bake in a drawback. And then I realized, oh, wait, you don't have to return anything. Still just mm -hmm. a 6-5 for 6. But then I started thinking through the play patterns. This is the first card where if you resource something early because you're like, I won't need it. And then late game, you're like, oh, I really need that. This is the first card where you get to dig back into your resources. Yes, yep. So baby. Lando yep. brings so much like depth to deck building. I love that he's in cunning, right? That's obviously fitting for this. But also I love that he is that businessman where he's literally dipping into his resources to make things happen. Uh, I adore this card. I think it's very strong. I think he's going to be a ton of fun to play. And I think he just being in your deck will change the way you uh, evaluate what cards to resource. Because we know that's going to yeah. be a skill testing part of this game, right? Is what do I resource? What's important? What isn't? And now he can bail you out if you make a mistake or, you know, you you get rid of something early because you're like, okay, I'll draw one by the time I need it. And then you don't, well, L Lando helps with that. Like, Dude, I just, I love this card. It's like having, um, uh, there's, there, there's a, there are cards like this that exist in other games. Like I think Lord of the Rings had one too, where there was a card that you could have and you just put as many items as you want in it. So it kind of frees up your hand. That's kind of to a degree what you're doing. It's like you're, you, you're, resource pool that you have acts as like an additional hand that you have access to it's almost like he's hmm. he's turning your resource pool into a sideboard where you're just like well i need this so i'm gonna bounce this back because this is relevant now and it's important the other question i have that you guys might be able to clear clarify is when do you put resources on the table is it like do you have to do it first or are there options to do it mid it's in the regroup phase it's so technically at the end it. of your turn like you do it at start a game procedure yeah. but in terms okay. of normal round action it's at the end of your turn you draw mm -hmm. two and then you resource something then okay. so you yep. can't do fun tricks where like you i was saying like you, know, you tap you bounce them back tap, bounce, and then you yeah, can yeah. put two fresh ones on the board where it's yeah, kind of like rip. Yeah. i tried but so we can't do that <laughs> but something else you know one of the things i like to try to highlight is potential future design space one thing that has crossed my mind and i think it would fit within the cunning aspect very well would be um something where you trigger based on thresholds right so think of cards mm. where if you have you know, five or less resources, it does X. And if you have more than five, it does Y. And now suddenly, you know, Lando has the potential to move you on either sides of those thresholds. That could be something that they explore in the future. Um, there's just so much that you can do with this card. He's so cool. He is. He's definitely yeah. cool. <laughs> uh, you look at something like, uh, well, look at something like uh, Han Solo, the leader card, right? Um, where his epic action, you deploy him if you have six or more resources. So you could have a turn where you use your six resources to play. Uh, well, you first of all, you flip Han because you've got six resources. You don't have to spend anything to flip your leader. Then you use those six resources to play Lando, bring up to two cards back to your hand, get ready for that next turn because now your leader is flipped. He's on the field, so you don't necessarily need to be at that threshold. Um, and so you don't necessarily need six resources next turn. So it, it does just offer like a lot of neat flexibility. I mean, talk about a swing turn, right? Imagine getting leader Han Solo on the board and then also Lando on the board in the same turn. That's that's a lot of power. I'm also thinking this from the perspective of I've just been so knee deep in playing magic now. And how many times when you're late game where you're like, I just don't want resources right now. I need cards. But if your land is potentially cards that you could play, 
sometimes drawing this late, like as a top deck, this is card advantage as well. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I play this and I can get two cards back to hand and have three floating resources potentially. And then I could like have an additional action and then plus the uh, additional cards I just drew from my, my land that is no longer doing anything. This is This is a card that... I mean, Magic does this already. They turn their lands into creatures. There's that, that that has been around for a lot now, and those lands are very important because, again, they realize it's like, yeah, when you're to on top deck and you top deck a land, we, we want to be able to give you something. So that's kind of how I feel here. I, I really genuinely believe that this Lando is going to be um, a very significant piece to cunning decks, to come at her like any heroic the heroicism deck heroic decks um lando's gonna be a a big time player keep in mind too just to go back to the han solo thing that his on attack once the leader unit is flipped is put the top card of your deck into play as a resource and ready it um you do have to defeat a resource uh at the you know the start of your next action phase but this does let you have potentially access to one more card when you play Lando and you can grab one of your resources at a card as a card. So I like the the synergy between those two cards and and I agree. I think this Lando is going to be pretty pretty standard in uh, any cunning list, right? I mean, unless it's like a super low to the ground, you know, aggression cunning list that doesn't want to play something like a six drop, um, you know, I've got a feeling you're going to be seeing uh, two maybe three of these in in every deck that has cunning in uh in the first set yeah it's like a great it. card also yeah. this was revealed by unplayable which is not true about this card yeah it looks, <laughs> it looks very playable to me yeah <laughs> um last one is actually a legendary card and again spoiler to you doa but i think that it was spoiled I've seen this already episode. Oh, you this have? is a season two episode. Yeah, okay, yeah. so here we go. The card itself is called Change of Heart. It is an event. It is a cunning event. Six cost. Gambit is the subtext or the subtitle. Take control of a non-leader unit at the start of the regroup phase. Its owner takes control of it. This is your standard procedure theft style cards. They exist in droves in magic um every mm. standard rotation of magic will have a red card that does this uh it's basically usually costs about three uh in magic but it's it's take control of it untap it it gains haste at the end of your turn it goes back to your opponent now effectively what you want to do with this is you absolutely want to put this in conjunction with some sort of sacrifice or self wound, self damage type thing? Oh, you're saying no. What are you saying? No. Uh, I mean, if you want to finish, you can. But this, I love this card because this card very much highlights all the cool things about Star Wars Unlimited's game mechanics. All right, hit it. This this card puts an emphasis on the importance of initiative, because as you rightfully pointed out, uh, this. Unlike the red magic counterparts, uh, does not say like it readies itself, right? This doesn't give it haste or whatever. So if you're taking control of a unit, you ideally want to take control of a unit your opponent has not used yet. Mm -hmm. And so when you play this, if you have initiative, you've guaranteed your opponent hasn't used it yet. Now, the reason you want to do that and the reason that this costs so much more than the magic counterparts is because, again, not unique to Star Wars uh, Unlimited, but a feature of their game mechanics, 
uh, units can directly attack other units. So if you have an opponent who has two ground units and you have initiative, you can take one and then just ram it into their <laughs> other units, destroying yeah. <laughs> them both. It's a two for one. Yeah. Now, you also get any benefits. What you were kind of alluding to is like sacrifice engines. Now, if the unit you steal has a when defeated, that helps. Or right. if you have so, something that triggers, that helps. I, I just want to clarify something quickly here. Because, again, uh, the limitation of the path that I was going down was within the framework of magic rule set wherein you're not mm. attacking creatures you're attacking face and they decide whether they want to throw a body in front of it this is very much like hearthstone where i priest is all about this kind of nonsense yeah um uh, so there's like some madness cards or whatever where you steal a unit and you can smash it into something else that is that is oh that is precisely why this card is legendary you're you're definitely correct about that um, it's also any any non-leader units. So you can take control of space units too. So even though we see, you know, Zeb and I can't remember the other character's name on it. Callus. Um, Callus. Callus, that's what it is. Yeah. And we haven't seen either of them as cards yet. Callus so, is there. Yeah. Oh, did we see Callus already? Yeah. I'm yes. so bad at keeping track of this stuff. All right, I'll tell anyway, command unit. But we haven't seen Zeb yet, right? So there's there maybe Zeb out there. But uh, anyway, um, it can be a space unit too. You can just take control of home one. You can take control of, uh, you know, a star destroyer. You can, you can do a lot of a lot of really unique stuff with this too. If you think about it in the space arena, as well. But uh, I, I like the idea of just taking it and running into another unit. Um, you, it costs six, so you're probably not going to be able to pay for a lot of, you know, if there's anything else that makes you sacrifice it. But the one defeated stuff comes in handy. I mean, I'm kind of echoing what you both said, but you, you both covered it pretty well. well. So there's one other say, bit as well, which is also why this card is so perfect in cunning, um, because it also gives you, like most cunning things do so far that have been revealed, alternate paths to your opponent. So worst case scenario, you might just take their only Sentinel unit to push a bunch of damage face. Yeah, that's you know, it. we talked about that scenario where, you know, maybe we play the three, four and then we put the big upgrade on it. And now there's this, you know, massive wall and it's like, OK, well, I'm just going to take it and then ran all of my units down your base's throat because it's not there. It's the same as giving all of your stuff saboteur, really. And um, not only that, but then they have to go through their own unit to get to you. Right. On so, that turn. On yeah. that particular turn. No, you're 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 spot on. Now, again. I just want to go back to my initial thought, which was if there are self-sacrificing types of things, like if there's a card that comes out, like defeat your own, defeat a unit you control, draw four cards, that's kind of like a combo piece to this. Uh, or, but again, if I completely get it, like uh, the, the ideal thing here is like, I want to throw a Star Destroyer into an AT-AT. Oh, you can't do that because of the lanes, but like, that's the ideal, right? I just want one to you know freaking mouth kiss the other and they both disappear like they you know wow. that's gonna you know what i mean <laughs> that's a clip <laughs> but uh i the the one thing with this card i think you need to keep in mind too is that six resources is a big commitment that is that is effectively your whole turn um at a point in the game where you have to be very choosy about what you're playing turn to turn right Six resources when the leaders start coming out a lot of times. Uh, six resources when the big meaty units happen. So you need to have a very, very good reason to play this card. And so I do worry that 
in a, in a lot of situations, it could end up just being a dead card in hand if there's not, you know, if your opponent doesn't have anything that's worth paying six to grab on the other side. So I would I would run like two of this. I don't think this is a here's here's a question: three of or two of in a deck? I'm gonna say two of for this. Uh, here's one, the thing: I would have said two of normally until Lando was revealed. But now I have no problems with resourcing this early. And then if I need it, just getting it back as a finisher. Yeah, you could do that too. Look, yeah. But here, you gotta yeah, but that's like two turns then. One turn to play Lando and one turn to play this. So you yeah, better better know cutting. that that's gonna deliver. So like if I can't yeah. if I can't navigate a couple of turns, then I'm in the wrong aspect. You know what I mean? Well, like, what what this sure, card sure. also does is that if 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 this is not like everybody thinks of the home run. And trust me, it's the same way with magic or whatever. Like if I'm stealing a unit, I want to make sure they don't get it back. I want to maximize the potential or I want to kill them when I play it. That is obviously pie in the sky, ideal sort of scenario. But at the same time, if you're thinking about this from a perspective of like, let's say they have like a five, five on the board and you're not killing anything from them, but you have first action and you don't really have a very big turn. You steal their unit. You attack face with it. Now you've done five to them, and they can't do five to you. So that is yeah. still a 10-point swing. That is still above rate. And that's why, in my opinion, I think that this is absolutely a three of card because mm -hmm. of, of just that. Like, that's a 10-point swing that you otherwise did not have. Obviously, you'll have to time it with initiative and things like that and as the cards are coming out smarter players will understand when to play around things and and such like that where they might be more aggressive to get uh when they're playing against a cunning deck where they mm -hmm. want like in my opinion i think if you're playing against a cunning deck you're going to want initiative more than more than your opponent does like that's going to be something that you know both players are going to be fighting over pretty heavy and i think that this is why but a two of or a three of especially because of what what uh charmer said with the lando dude like you draw this early just pocket it and you'll find you'll pick it up later yeah i guess uh, i need to i need to think more about the resourcing mechanic in the game which is it's you know it's a it's a non-traditional kind of mechanic in a in a card game but yeah because like usually yeah you don't want things like this to gum up your hand but they don't really need to in this game you can just resource it especially with lando okay so maybe i do run three but yeah i also uh, will say that this kind of card always in other card games, at least, kind of ends up being gimmicky the longer the card game goes on. So, how long does this survive in cunning decks over time? I wonder. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a card you're gonna love to play and absolutely hate to see your opponent play. Uh, that's that's for sure. Yeah. The only other thing that I kind of wanted to highlight, you know, Flake was talking about. Yeah, it, it can just nice nicely be a, a 10 point swing and i don't disagree with that that's very much a quality use of the turn if you've got nothing else going on you know depending on the type of cunning deck if it's more like stall oriented or tempo oriented that could be a pretty big deal mm -hmm. um but taking e either advantage of your opponent's game text at times when they aren't expecting it can be very important so if you need restore and you take their restore unit and you're denying them the healing while maybe giving it to yourself yeah. um that's a really important deal. But the other one that immediately jumps out to me, and we're going to have to wait to see how the meta uh, develops, but we know that there are already some units that have like static bonuses, right? So the general cards, there's uh, General Veers, and uh, I think it's Dodonna, right, is the other one for the Rebels, where you know they give the plus one, plus one to all of your Rebels or all of your Imperials. Uh, if we get more cards like that as the game goes on, 
being able to take that card away and then also debuff essentially your entire opponent's board is a pretty big deal as well, right? So mm. yeah, you could do that with removal, but it, what I'm going to expect, right, is that Cunning won't have a lot of direct removal. I think we're going to see Vigilance will be the defeat stuff. Aggression will be the direct damage. So like, how does Cunning deal with stuff, right? Mm. Um, we already know from Command, it's you have, you know, friendly units deal damage, right? We've seen some of those cards that exist. I think that cards like this and cards like Waylay, where you are still getting around stuff or removing stuff, but not directly, you're either bouncing it to hand or in this case, taking it away, are going to be the bread and butter of Cunning. And I can't imagine going, you know, for a couple of sets anyway, something that will compete with this for that kind of slot strictly in cunning now again obviously up to three aspects in a deck before you start paying the tax you can fit in some other options but i i do think that this in terms of the cunning like aspect identity is a very powerful card and very will likely be a staple as a result imagine stealing your opponent's uh rare obi-wan kenobi and then he comes to your <laughs> side and he's got sentinel he dies he gives experience tokens to your units if you have a force unit out, you draw a card like, hey, yeah, that's the, yeah. scary stuff in there. <laughs> it, it's funny because when I started my rant, um, I was in a similar vein, but I was thinking about Yoda. But you're right. Obi-Wan's oh, yeah. like the big one. But I was like, man, you could even just taking a Yoda, right? You you get the restore. If you crash him into another unit, you get the mm -hmm. one defeated so that like you can draw a card and deny your opponent from it. Like there's a lot of value even in getting rid of stuff like that. Yeah. Three of it's a three of Doa. Um, All right. Hey, I, I said I agree. I, I didn't think about the resourcing thing. With that, I agree. This For one now. also uh, revealed by Unplayable, so thank you so much. And now we are going to talk a little bit about casual versus competitive and sort of making the leap because there's going to be a lot of players who um, I think that to a degree this might be their first sort of foray into Star Wars cards, but for the most part yeah, it, totally. they might not. But at the same time, a lot of players who may have experience with card gaming or Star Wars cards may not have, um, may not be ready for, but want to be included in what FFG is planning for their organized play, which is a bigger, robust, competitive scene that is going to reward the elite, you know, that is going to be, you know, this huge gauntlet of qualifiers and big tournaments and satellite tournaments into national championships, into world championships. That's just the way things go now for major card games. They need to have these kinds of structures, and it's an enticing thing. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of prestige. There's a lot of cool promos involved as beyond the fact that they're just cool events to go to. So it's let's... a lot of fun, too. You're playing the game at the absolute highest level. You know, you are engaging with this uh, with this game to the utmost so you know even if you don't win it's still the greatest way to engage the game in my opinion but i i, mean, I tend me. to agree with you there and so that's I why we all I, like competitive <laughs> oh we, we are we're definitely we're, yeah. we're we all itching for it i mean we talk about it all the time we're always discussing new cards that come out for other games and how to break them how to how to you know improve on what we love but let's talk a little bit about casual to competitive for the casual player who wants to get geared up for this new op um, you know, in 2024, that's going to happen. What are some of the tips or challenges involved to be aware of when you're making that transition? Um, does anyone want to sort of fire the first uh, first volley here? Yes. Go ahead. Because I think it's step one. And I, I would argue personally that this is the single most important bit 
when you are considering making the jump from casual to competitive. So uh, listen in. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some real quality advice. Just do it. And I know that sounds really easy and straightforward, but mm -hmm. there can be a lot of anxiety that builds up when I cover other card games, when Flake covers other card games. So I'm sure we've all seen it, um, whether it's called ladder anxiety. If you've played a digital card game and you start to do well and then you're like, well, I don't you know, I don't want to risk my position or people who, you know, they're playing Hearthstone and they say, well, I've never hit legend because every time I hit rank one, I just get so nervous you will likely encounter the exact same thing if you are playing physical card games. And it might even be exacerbated because it's in person. It's one thing to play people on a you know, digital screen and from the comfort of your own home and then say, hey, I want to do that competitively. It's another thing when maybe your competitive event is you know, going to a store you've never been to, traveling to another city. Those all add to those anxieties. You're meeting people that are not your local. You know, if you have the same eight people at your LGS that play, for example, and now you go to a bigger tournament where there's 20 or 30 people, it can be, uh, you know, a bit nerve wracking interacting with people. Um, so if you've never done any of those things, it's normal, it's natural, but you also just got to do it. The sooner you rip the Band-Aid off, uh, the more comfortable you're going to be. And you have to understand that you can go to your first competitive event and bomb you could just not win a game and you but probably I will say, by the way yeah, and you, probably you probably will, will bomb at your um, first competitive event yeah that's part of the process but, yeah uh, but i would say if it's your first one no matter what happens don't drop just go through the motions play you're there to enjoy the game anyway but you're also there just to see what the experience is like um you know get comfortable with calling a judge if you need to get comfortable with um, you know, speaking to your opponents, going through the motions in, uh, you know, a higher rules enforcement environment. All of those things are like critical to ad adapting to that kind of mindset and that mentality. Um, and again, like I said, it's going to sound really, really easy, but I would say just do it. That's the best advice I can have. If you even think you want to do it, just do it. Most people are incredibly kind, even if by some random chance, your very first opponent ends up being that guy. And we all know who that guy is. Um, and I, and I know that I'm gendering there, but let me just tell you, I've never had uh, somebody be that girl or that woman. It's always that guy. Uh, your next opponent's going to be awesome, right? Don't even like, if you go to a competitive event and your first one is you get the rules shark person who's just miserable to play against, just push through. That's why I say, no matter what your experience is, I encourage you not to drop play the game, you're going to meet amazing people, whether you do well or not. Even some of the top players are, in my experience, from all the games I've covered, the nicest people. They will share with you what you could do to improve after games. Um, you know, they'll shake your hand, congratulate you, whatever. Uh, just do it. Like, that is... I, I wanted to lead with that because I think that's the single most important piece to this process is getting over that hump of the anxiety, right? Just dive in. Yes, we're going to provide you with more tips. It's not just do it. That's the end of the episode. But I, I do think that that is very much something that needs to be stressed. Yeah. Um, should I go next or do you want to go? Uh, you can go. Go for yeah. it. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm uh, debating between two things, but uh, I'll do the one... I'll do the one that, uh, well, because I do both things, but I'll do the one that helps me get into a game competitively more, which is uh, just find a deck that looks fun and master it. And, like, don't try to chase the top meta decks. Find a deck that you enjoy playing, 
and looks fun and master it, right? Um, because you're going to be able to get through, you know, learning the basics of the game intimately, learning some of the more complex nu complex nuances of the game. Well, you're going to be able to get through that those steps if you're playing a deck that you enjoy playing. It's so important. Like uh, for in, in Flesh and Blood, I play a hero called Katsu. He has not been a tier one hero for a very, very long time, but I just enjoy playing him. And I've become very, very good at that hero to the point where I can do well at some of these uh, bigger tournaments. I'm probably not going to win anything, but still, I've learned so much about the game by playing that one deck or that one hero in this case and mastering it, right? And so while you master this one deck, you might think, but what about all these other decks? How am I going to learn all this other parts of the competitive process? Well, when you're only really thinking about playing one deck, that frees up the mental space then to think more about what your opponents are playing each turn and why they're playing it. So by you only playing one deck, I've always felt, for me at least, it's put me in a better position to learn those other decks because I get very good at anticipating what each one is going to play on a given turn because I've gotten so, you know, used to my one deck, right? If you keep swapping decks, you're going to be, you know, confusing yourself. You're going to be overloading yourself with information. Pick a deck you like to play. Stick with that deck until you've mastered it. You'll be learning all the other decks at the same time, and you'll be having the most fun. And frankly, like, if you're not having fun in this process, then, you know, why are why are you doing it? This is a game at the end of the day, too. So, yeah, that's that's my big thing is find a deck you like to play. Who cares where it is on the tier list or whatever it is, and just just master it, you know. Well, I just want to mention to you that uh, Katsu is actually a solid tier two list right now, like very yeah, much so. Like I've always thought he's been a good tier two for a long time. It has been. He's just yeah. he's performing exceptionally well right now in the uh, flesh and blood meta. But you're right, and yeah. just sort of to build on what you're talking about, which is. It's intimidating to jump into competitive because you're playing against good players that are probably playing some of the great decks, and it's a lot to bite off. It's much like getting into the any card game that you've never played, just learning the cards themselves. I mean, I, getting into a new set of, of magic is a nightmare because I don't follow the spoilers, and when I'm going to draft... I sit there reading every single card and understanding them, and that's that could be time-consuming. It's also very intimidating. If you just stick to the deck that you love playing, and like you said, mastering that deck, that then means that you, your muscle memory, you, knowing the limitations, the reach, and what your deck can do, once you've got that down... The next step is then you start learning what other decks want to do. You don't need to be a master of those decks, but just understanding what they're doing, what their threats are, means that you could then make better decisions on your side, which then will result in a better win rate and a better, uh, a better experience overall. You'll be more competitive because you know your deck inside out already, but you already are starting to say, well, I know what that does. I've encountered this. I know what their threats are. I know what their game plan is. I know how to play around certain things. Expanding on that. Beyond that, the, the third tier to that is then understanding the meta in general. What is popular? What is strong? How does that go? And then you kind of expand outward from there. But making sure that you have everything on lock in your own yard, your deck inside out, master that deck is the first thing possible. And like Doa says, it doesn't have to be a tier one deck. It certainly helps. Don't get me wrong. Because one of the things I wrote on the note is play sure. better decks. If you're going into competitive and you're doing a gimmick, 
like uh you know and i i'm guilty of this all the time i just want to see the janky stuff pop off just once because it's it's spectacular but if your objective is to win and qualify for stuff playing deck better decks is certainly going to help you there but yeah to, certainly be aware of where your deck stands on the meta sure well. don't have bring, that awareness at least but yeah. like uh you know anything it doesn't need to like a tier two deck meaning like not necessarily the best but just below it that is capable of, of making this happen and we all know players in flesh and blood like josh lau who's been on dorinthia um since since like the beginning dorinthia i don't think has really ever been like a the number one deck in the game it's always been a solid tier two or three but he's won tournaments mm -hmm. purely off the fact that nobody knows that deck better than he does and you could be that person in your smaller you know smaller region and you could see that so yeah i like that i like that idea for sure yeah uh i want to touch on the the uh cards thing too learning cards like never be afraid to ask your opponent if you can read their card like if you don't know what a card does and they're like i'm just playing this never be afraid to be like oh can i read that i've never in my 20 plus years of playing card games competitively ever had someone be like no you can't <laughs> like they'll of course always be like yeah sure and they'll slide it across the table for you and, and take the time to read it don't feel like you need to be rushed or anything like that never feel afraid to tell your opponent oh i'm i haven't seen this before or i'm just learning you know i've i've never had somebody be negative to me for asking if i could read their card never once so don't be afraid to to read your opponent's cards too but the the other oh go ahead look like you want to say something oh i was merely about to say just to sort of add on to that is that if you do want to read your opponent card i appreciate it if i'm asked and i always oh, yeah. ask always i always ask, say i'm like yeah, may i may i yeah. read this and then and if they say yes you just pick it up and read it i, I have yeah. a lot of people who like to just go like reach over and start shuffling through my stuff and i'm like i hate that yeah. i'm like dude don't, yeah don't do that I, I just saw you elbow deep in a bag of doritos dude like let's just like I'll, you could look with your eyes, but yeah, sometimes people just go and just pick up my discard pile and start like, I'm like, Ugh. yeah, I'm like talking to my I... kids at the store. Like <laughs> uh, my, my number one phrase, whenever we go to the store is, you know, we look with our eyes, not with our hands. Yep, there you go. I always point. I never, I never even reach. I'm always like, can I read that? Yeah. And I point and I, I have them slide it across the table to me. So I've, yeah, you know, so I've always that's, done it. But, we should do a whole thing on etiquette, um, man. We should have an oh, etiquette that, episode. That actually, that's a good, yeah, that's good for later. Hell yeah. I, if not an episode, I, I think a segment. Yeah. I was going to say a segment or as we get closer to the release, um, I might even behoove us to do just like a couple of informational, like yeah. short things that we can either do as, I like that. Um, you know, segments or clips or whatever. We're, but I think etiquette absolutely should be Ooh. something on there. In the style of after school special. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, don't call the judge on you. <laughs> Kick him under the table savagely. No, but uh, I. So the the other the next big thing I wanted to talk about with moving to competitive is uh, is you have to learn to love the process, and loving the process means learning to love losing, and not seeing losing as like this negative failure kind of thing, but using losing as a, a path to where you want to get to, right? Where at the end of a game you lost, or I should say at the end of a game I lose in a game, I just learned how to play One Piece um, because I've been hearing so much about it. It's really fun, um, but I'm, I'm terrible at it, right? Because I'm learning the game. So I go to my locals and all that, and after I lose inevitably most of the games I play, I talk with my opponent about like the game. And I'm, I ask them, you know, where do you think 
where do you think the game swung? You know, what do you think the turn was? And I give my impressions and their impressions. And so, sure, I lost that game, but I turn it into a thing where when I walk over to play my next opponent, I've got a little bit of extra knowledge that I didn't have 15 minutes ago that I can put into practice that next game, which makes it so much more fun. And then when you do use that in the next game and you do win, you're like, aha, I figured it out, you know? And so then you end up going, you know, one and three, maybe at your, your local or something. But that one game, you're like, okay, I, I learned something tonight. I put it into practice and I won my game. I got a pack. That's, that's a success, right? And that's a step in the direction you want to go if you want to become a good competitive player. So really turning losing individual games into winning overall at your competitive uh, endeavor. And, you know, remembering that, like, if you really care a lot about winning, that, like, one bad local doesn't make a bad month and one bad month doesn't make a bad season and one bad season doesn't make a bad year and even one bad year of a card game for you doesn't make a bad competitive career right so using losing and and learning to really enjoy that process uh is it's so important and i mean obviously you can apply that to basically anything in life but since we're talking about competitive card games uh you know that's that's a my my biggest thing too is like really learn to love the process of improvement you know it's really fun. You're not losing if you're learning. Uh, yeah. As you're not as, learning if you're not losing, I would say. Well, there's just you're you're spot on there, and that's yeah. I wrote, I wrote it there. I'm like, be okay with losing, and you're going to lose. Yeah. And that's the thing is that if you're, it's not a loss if you can take something away from it, and that's gonna happen. But if there was a Oh, I was just gonna say, if you're if you can only have fun by winning games, then just continue to play casual against people that are worse than you, and you'll never improve, but you'll always win. Yeah. And if that if that's your objective, but if your objective is to, you have to identify: is your objective to improve, or is your objective to just win? Because one will be incredibly easier to do, which is winning. You just play against bad opponents that you know you can beat, and you'll always win. Mm. Or you can take the harder road, play against tougher opponents, be okay with the loss, but be but have the humility to sit there and understand why you lost. One of the things that really drives me insane with certain players is when they lose, whether I beat them or they I've witnessed them lose, the amount of just uh no culpability to the fact that they lost it's not their fault they lost it's the shuffling it's their opponent it's the bad matchup it's the dice roll it's this that the other thing if only i went first i would have won if only you didn't draw this i would yeah it's the same for all of the things so you have to have the humility to understand that if you if you lose it's probably because of something that you did identifying what that is rectifying it changing it improving it learning from it is such a better and healthier um, process on your progression in your journey to being a competitive, a competitive threat. Yeah, there's a StarCraft II player named uh, White Raw. This uh, Ukrainian guy I used to know back in the day. Still plays, I think. He's pretty awesome. But uh, he he had a phrase that uh, was really popular in SC2 back when that way back when that's uh, more GG, more skill is what he would say. Where it's like in, at the end of a game of StarCraft II, if you lose. It's good manners to type good game before you leave the game. That's just what people do in that game. Um, and so it's GG, obviously, for short. And so he was saying, you know, more losses, more more learning. Yeah, so that's been the case for, you know, video games, for card games, for, for everything. So, yeah. 
when, when you're trying to learn something, the last thing you want to do is be the smartest guy in the room. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's I'm on this podcast to purposefully be the dumbest guy on this podcast because I can learn uh, so much from you. Too, got right? you there, so, bucko. <laughs> I was going to say my goal each week is to become dumber. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's my, why you're my here goal. Yeah, well, every week. I feel like I do, you know, a little bit <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, jo- jokes aside, like really, you do want to find better opponents. You want to learn from them. Um, I would also expand on that. So once you get over that first hump of, you know, you just do it and you go to events and you start learning and you're talking to opponents. If you're looking to go to the next step after that, um, the next phase, uh, I would say find like-minded people, you know, people who want to improve and start playing with them. Now, if you're new to card games, you might not know the, the phrasing. You'll hear people say, hey, I'm testing or I'm play testing. This really just means like I have an idea and I need somebody to allow me to run games into them back and forth to test whether it can be successful or not. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's more than just playing games. When you move on to this phase, you have to have one people that you trust, but you also have to go into it with a, a level of intentionality about what you're looking to get out of it. It might be I want to test my deck in a certain matchup or it might be I want to know what to do in certain scenarios and then if that's the case you can literally like skip forward to those parts of the game and then go through the motions um you know in flesh and blood there's a very uh good player uh he also makes content for legends of Ruterra uh, under majin bay his name's caleb and we I remember during the Starvo meta for Flesh and Blood uh, before an event, we sat in a hotel room together and just ran games back and forth. And the number of times that I played like five or six turns in a row with my hand face up, right? Because we were just trying to figure out like, what do you do in the mirror? Because we expected the mirror a lot saying like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is my hand. What would you do here and why? This is what I would do and why? Because when you're doing that kind of testing, the entire point is to learn and improve. So you know, it doesn't matter if I beat him in my hotel room. The entire point is to get better. So when you move to that play testing, like, yeah, the goal ultimately is to win at events. But, you know, like you were saying, like, you don't just want to play games to win games because you can just go play bad opponents. Uh, sometimes winning isn't even the point at all. Like there's been, you know, play testing sessions where I never finish a game. We just get to the thing we wanted to test. We scoop, reshuffle, try to rinse and repeat. Right. So. Uh, You know, I just mentioned it because step two is making sure that you're trying to improve with intentionality. You go into your session saying, not just I want to get better, but I've identified this is something I really want to get better at, whether it's in a matchup in my deck building or whatever, and then attacking it. It It's no different than if you've ever played sports, right? Like if you play positions and you do position drills because you want to get better at catching or route running or whatever, same thing. Look, the 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 part about that also is like when you talk about like-minded people, a lot of people are going to say like, well, how what am I learning from people who think exactly like me? Even if you're both if you're in a group of people and 95% of your wavelength is 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 congruent and exactly the same, there's still a 5% edge that you can gain by acquiring new lines of sight. And that's exactly what you're talking about. When you were when you and Majin Bay were practicing those things and I've done this too, uh, this is how I learned Katsu very well early on, was running into, it was myself, it was, that's admirable, it was Dalen Mack, it was like Brian Basoka, we would we would all be in a Discord call, 
and we would basically goldfish and say, here's our four cards. What is the maximum amount of output with the most amount of breakpoints, the awkwardness and whatever? And we'd run through various routes, and that's precisely it. And I learned so much, not because they were they thought completely different from me, but because they thought marginally different from me, and I gained on that, and that altered how I viewed things. And from that point onward, I went from going two and four at my RTN to uh, to four and two at and bubbling out at an RTN. And then after that, I was top eighting ProQuests in in one of the hardest regions. And like it's, but it's because of that. And mm-hmm. that leads me to another humongous, gigantic um, thing that comes for us all, which is time. It takes time, and it takes patience. And I understand that not everyone is going to have an abundance of either, but what you have to understand is you need to realize what you're what you're there for. If you want to do it, you have to be prepared. It's like anything else. It's like learning how to play guitar. It's like learning or building a, a something outside or whatever. It's going to take time. It's going to take, you know, effort to do so. You, you you can't just net deck and go to a tournament and succeed. Everybody already does that, and it's the same players that ascend to the top because they're putting in the time. But what you need to understand is it's not this magic threshold of, well, once I get my 100 hours in, I level up and now I'm better. If you put in 10 hours, you are 10 hours better than what you were beforehand, and that might equate to, hey, I now know this matchup better, and if I know this matchup better... I'm going to win that matchup, and that might be one of the six rounds I play or two of the six rounds. But the more time you put mm-hmm. in, the better your outcome gonna, is going to be. But again, that is, a, that is a, a tough ask because not everyone's going to have the same – that's not the same playing field for everyone, and I'm, I'm fully aware of that. Yeah, I mean, while we all have limited time, uh, you know, some of us have uh, jobs that are very demanding. Some of us have children. Some of us have, you know, limited income when it comes to acquiring, you know, cards that are, you know, quote unquote needed for a specific deck. And so you have to, you know, be fine with playing within the framework of life that you have too, right? And don't be afraid of going for, uh, you know, competitive stuff within your framework, right? Because, uh, and I think this is kind of like my my last big point on it is that, uh, your level of competitive endeavor, endeavor is personal to you, and it is fine. If you want to be competitive in that you get good enough to beat all your friends, that's an achievable level. That can be your target. If you want to be good enough to do well at your local uh, your locals each week, at your local game store, that can be a competitive level target to get to. If you want to win the world championships, that can also be one. So whatever level you pick is perfectly fine. And uh, it's important, I think, too, to say that uh, whatever competitive degree you choose to engage with the game in, if that's what you like, that's perfectly fine. Don't let anyone tell you that because you're fine with dominating your locals and you don't want to get any farther than that, that you're, you know, wasting your time, your potential or whatever, you know, be fine with the level that, that you want to hit. Right. I like how you mentioned when you're going down the list, uh, people have busy schedules. Okay. Well, I get it. That's Doa. People have kids. Okay. I get it. That's a, uh, that's a charmer. People have limited income and, get, and I'm like, Oh, that, I know which one I am. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, like when I, when I got into competitive card gaming, I was like a super broke middle schooler 
Uh, I had like no job. I had no money. I could buy like one or two packs every month, you know, and so I just used what I had and I just got really, really good at using the cards that I had to do well at like little local events, you know, and so so that's, you know, I think that's where kind of everybody started. If they start as a kid, you're not going to be out there buying cases, right? You're going to be buying packs. You're going to be cobbling together a deck with what you've got. Um, but, you know, that's that's being competitive. If you use the resources you have to, you know, play the best you possibly can, right? Look, that's, that's valid, yeah. Th- there's also one other aspect here that I, I always, when people ask me about, about this kind of stuff, the one thing I, I like to, you know, shed light on is your, you specifically, the to you who's listening, your, your, evaluation of what is successful is not going to be the same success as other people because the people who you know who who consider something a success might be hey i went three and three at this qualifier tournament that's awesome i broke even on in terms of my record but that level of success is not the same as the person who won the world championship and if they don't top eight the next major tournament they deem that a failure so as as glitzy and glamorous as it may seem to to watch and once this game is out there you're going to start hearing the the names of the players who keep winning it's the same with all these other tournaments they kind of become these sort of game related celebrities within it because everybody wants to know what they're playing what they're doing how they're they're going or you know they're winning money at these tournaments they're doing well they're going to become household names but what you need to understand is you you can't be them their success is their own your success is might be different but it doesn't mean it's going to feel less awesome the first time i ever top aided a pro quest was incredible the first time i won one was unreal incredible and the other thing is like finishing top seed at a pti event and then losing in the finals to me i'm like that is in unreal like that is my top achievement right now and i think that that's incredible but it pales in comparison to, you know, a, a laundry list of other players who have major success. Like Majin Bay. Majin Bay has won so many tournaments. He's always winning. But you know what? If he goes to a tournament and finishes, loses in the quarterfinals, he's going to think that that's not a success. But for us, that is a massive success. So it has to be put into what, perspective. What are, you, what are you trying to say? I can't I'm win, saying uh, that yeah. we're donkeys. Wow, I'm really hurt. Wow, <laughs> we're gonna win no, tournaments. You know we are. In all seriousness, though, you 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 are right. And and I haven't won a card game tournament, like a significant card game tournament, since like the early 2000s, probably. So it's it's been a while. But you know, life happens, right? Um, I still play card games. I still compete, but my level is very different now than when I had lots lots more time to do that that uh, testing and all that. But um, with Flesh and Blood last year, I guess it was my uh, when whenever Uprising came out, there was that event in June, Vegas. We, June 2022. Yeah, we played in the team calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were two out of a three person team, but then there was a battle hard in the next day, which is another pretty big tournament. And my goal was to just have a winning record. That was it. I just wanted to take everything I'd learned from, you know, my entire time playing Flesh and Blood. And I just wanted a winning record. And I ended up going four and three on the day. And so I was ecstatic. I didn't, you know, make a top cut or anything like that, but I was like, I felt like I won the tournament because I was like, I did it. I played against so many really good players and I managed to get a winning record. So like that for me, that was like exactly what I went there to achieve. So I was, I was pretty hyped that weekend. I think you'll also find, you know, if you talk to other competitive players, 
you will notice that their determination for success might not even be the same from event to event because the like really hyper competitive ones you'll hear the phrase ev thrown around a lot right where they're talking oh, yeah. about like what do i get out of this you know is there prize money or are there cards that like i can win and sell in the secondhand market whatever and as a result of that you know you'll have some players that will top eight one event and they'll be ecstatic because to them it was you know a two-hour drive and then they can top eight literally the next event they play in but if it's one that they had to fly to they're like well this wasn't good enough because you know i had to take a day off of work and i had to pay for a plane ticket and so my my ev's lower so uh it you know it very much is something where not even just your own personal but as you talk to other people like their levels of success will slide around a lot as well so uh, just focus on your own and that's that's the best way to approach it. Yeah. So have fun. Beauty. Have fun. Go as far as you want to go. And we should say, too, even though this whole conversation has about, been about being competitive, like, if you just want to play the game casually with your friends, there's nothing wrong with that exactly. at all. That's, that's, how the, that's how the majority of people play the game, right? So Absolutely. If you just want to be a casual, that is, that is perfectly fine. It's you can have a ton of fun. That's, and that's the, that's, it all comes back to it. If you're not having fun, yeah. don't do it. Like it's it's very simple. Um, I've had to walk away from games like Hearthstone, Magic, whatever, because I was just miserable playing it, miserable thinking about it. And you'd walk away from it, and you can return and appreciate it at another time. So yeah. take care of your health. So long story short, this actually was a submission by uh, Nathan Souter. Nathan Souter um, threw another question for the mailbag which was essentially this question uh, about going into becoming a, a competitive mm. player. How do you sort of upgrade? So there's no mailbag this week uh, because Nathan Souter, who submitted this as the question, it evolved into this bigger conversation. We all agreed that I think you it's could a, say it was the biggest mailbag ever. Yeah. I, I know we have a question that came into the mailbag that we never got to. Oh, well, well, so 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 flake i would say to you you know when you have a, a weekly podcast and there's a segment that's entirely based around people sending in questions to you but then you get to your weekly segment and you think that you're you're out of questions what what would you say to that well given the fact that i've already been accused of not knowing the english language <laughs> I will say it's an observation, not an accusation. Uh, feelings bad? Me have yes. I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about. Hey. Quiet. Whoa. Too bad. That's what you're getting. <laughs> That's what you're getting. Me, Misa, okay with that? Perfect. Uh, oh no. So the one that came in, and I know this because it was when Flake was gone. And it was in our queue, and I think that's why it has been mm. overlooked, because I think you probably marked it thinking that we had done it, Flake, but I was waiting for you to come back, um, and I, I apologize. I forget who the person was who sent this question in, but they had asked us very specifically about our intro music. Oh, okay. Do you remember that question now? Um, I think so. Again, I sincerely apologize. I do not recall who asked it. But yeah, because this was a couple of weeks ago now. Like I said, it was it came in when you were gone. But I remember the question was I there, do. and I was like, "All right, when Flake comes back, um, do you want to you know, know what it is?" 
Yeah, they. I mean, they wanted to know what it is. They're a very big fan of our intro music, so I figured, I don't hey, know what it is. let's revisit it. Hell yeah! I don't know what it is. I want to know because every time Flake leaves and I have to edit, the way I get our intro music uh, is you... I go record our own episodes back. <laughs> Just ask me how many times, by the way, when I let you know that I'm not there, I say you have like 48 hours. Do you need anything? And you're like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> I will. Well, I mean, I do. Yeah, I do you got do. It. You I do. Know, usually, when you're leaving, you're you got so much going on, and you're stressed out. And I'm trying not to give you any more. Work, no, man. it's all good. So here's the deal. Um, that song is a uh, copyright free, free use um, so- song that is called nothing. It's just called hip jazz. That's all it is. <laughs> it's literally just called a hip jazz. I went. I go to. Oh. A, uh hip yeah jazz. hip jazz wow. and what's fun about this is that i get this stuff from like these free source like copyright free free use type of 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 things and there's some really epic ones every podcast that i've ever done has used music from that place uh hip jazz i i went through a whole bunch and this was the one i was like yeah this is kind of funky this is upbeat this has kind of like kind of a hip. slower yeah and I threw, it, I threw it at, at Charmer. It gives you a little Cantina vibes that, to uh, it. Yep, that was the feedback I had. I was like, yeah, it kind of gives me like, you know, Cantina. Maybe not Scum and Villainy Cantina, but I could see this being <laughs> in the Star Wars universe for sure. Yeah, that little figuring down in the modal nodes there. Oh, yeah. you, wanna, you guys want to know uh, a new canonical change to the Star Wars universe? I think I know exactly what you're going to say. Do you want to say sure. it? Can you please say it? No, no. I want to see if I want to see if we're thinking about the same thing. Okay, it's about the cantina music i don't yeah and i didn't want to say it but you could say it i will say it um it has been retconned that the figure and dan and the modal nodes who are the band that does the cantina music the style of that music do you know what it's called charmer i i do not okay it's called it was called and this is from the mouth of george lucas himself Mm-hmm. It was called Jizz. J I Z Z. Not jazz. Yeah. Jizz. It's, it's jazz with a little bit of riz. I get it. Yes. So, uh, yeah. however. Then the internet happened. Correct. And obviously, uh, George Lucas didn't know that that would have been hilarious for the longest I mean, time. But that was. Google like, that is what we're saying. Yeah. But yeah. that has now since been canonically retconned to be called something else and i forgot what it's called because it'll it'll always be jizz to me i was gonna say let me find out i'm just gonna google star wars jizz (laughs) and we're gonna see music become i wouldn't google that either no, believe it or not, this came up entirely fine. Brave, uh, Jizz on oh, Wikipedia oh, was I the first it. response. I, I literally just Googled Star Wars Cantina Music new name. And, oh, he, and, there you he, go. and here's what here's what the number one result is. It is a recent Star Wars book refers to space <laughs> jazz as Jats. J-A-T-Z. <laughs> oh. Uh, the, I forgot. Yeah. Like the gap. Yeah. Like <laughs> the name Jizz first turned up. <laughs> are you, gonna, you guys are going to love this. The name Jizz first turned up in a kid's novelization <laughs> yeah. of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> the junior novelization. My other favorite part is oh, that no. Maximilian Rebo and his band yeah. were It'll popular Jizz whalers. <laughs> Jizz whalers were musicians who specialized oh. in the genre. 
So, oh, so, so I, I was originally looking for some music to open the podcast that had a little bit of jizz in it, you know, a little. <laughs> but now yeah. I have to say it's jats. So Hip jats. Yeah. yeah. So we're definitely a jats type of podcast. <laughs> Yeah, oh, Star Wars the greatest IP the of all time is tracks. what we're saying here. <laughs> Thank God for that kids novelization. Oh. Yeah. Hey, funky beat, sir. What is that? The, well, the this is the latest. Time. <laughs> this is the latest jizz offer by Bigger and Dan. <laughs> He's like DJ uh, Khaled. He's like, and another one. <laughs> no. Hey, I've got too much experience with DJ Call. That's another Overwatch League uh, throwback, by the way. But oh. yeah. anyway, I've got oh. experience with DJ Death Star. Does that count? You do. That's way you cooler. Do. Okay, yeah. I. That's the answer to that question. It's enough yep. of that. <laughs> wow. See, this mailbag was worth it. It was so worth it. Very worth it. Yeah. Holy crap! All right. Um, I also want to say thanks to everybody for leaving us a review for the podcast we're over 20 five-star reviews um it it costs you nothing and it does wonders for for the podcast so if you haven't already please go ahead and give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us if you're listening to us on youtube subscribe to the channel we're growing uh and it's it's incredible we're so excited for this game if you want to submit a question for the mailbag, you can do so by emailing us at wamparadiopodcast at gmail.com. You could tweet at us at wamparadio. You can reach me at watchflake. You can reach this Jats guy right up here uh, at ggdoa. And then you have uh, for, formerly known as the Jizz Maestro himself, uh, Charmer at that Just Char- Whaler, technically. Yeah. <laughs> Just Whaler. Get it, get it right. I Come apologize. On. At that Charm 3R. Uh, we love you guys and, and we thank you so <laughs> Friends, all this to say, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for, for uh, following us on this journey. Uh, 20 episodes in the books, 20 more to come. Hey, man, if we do another 20, are we even at? release date i think we are right like we're past that i don't know um how many more weeks man uh i i feel like we should have a countdown we should just have like Uh a november december january february that's 16 and then like uh oh my god dude it's exactly 20 weeks away i just googled how many weeks until march 8th 20 weeks in a day Wow. Yeah. Oh, so 20 weeks from now. We'll be at XL. We'll be, we'll be at XL yeah. for nice. release day. All coming to plan. Yeah. Uh, it's 40. It's 40. 40. Oh, right. L is, the L is 50. The L. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you know what that right. means? We It'll cannot. Extra large release. Dude, we cannot miss a week. We can't. So through the hmm. holidays, buckle up, bozos. I'll do it myself if I have to. But we're on a, we're on a, a hot streak here. We can't give this up. Yeah. Our login rewards are impressive right now. So, okay. <laughs> uh, I got nothing more to add to this one. I was going to say, any of you Jats cats want to hit us with a, anything else? No? All right, Charmer. Are you locked? Are you loaded? You good to go? Perfect. Hit us with it. We'll see you next time on Wumper Radio. May the force be with you.